Chapter Four, Part Three of Autobiography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Gilbert. Autobiography by John Stuart Mill. Chapter Four, Youthful Propagandism, The Westminster Review, Part Three. This improvement was first exhibited in a new field. Mr. Marshall of Leeds, father of the present generation of Marshalls, the same who was brought into Parliament for Yorkshire when the representation forfeited by Grampound was transferred to it, an earnest parliamentary reformer and a man of large fortune, of which he made a liberal use, had been much struck with Benjamin's Book of Fallacies and the thought had occurred to him that it would be useful to publish annually the parliamentary debates not in the chronological order of hansard but classified according to subjects and accompanied by a commentary pointing out the fallacies of the speakers with this intention he very naturally addressed himself to the editor of the book of fallacies and bingham with the assistance of charles austin undertook the editorship the work was called parliamentary history and review its sale was not sufficient to keep it existent and it only lasted three years it excited however some attention among parliamentary and political people the best strength of the party was to put forth in it and its execution did them much more credit than that of the washington review had ever done. Brigham and Charles Austin wrote much of it, as did Strutt Romney, and several other liberal lawyers. My father wrote one such article in his best style, the elder Austin another. Colson wrote one of great merit. It fell to my lot to lead off the first number by an article on the principal topic of the session, that of 1825 the catholic association and the catholic disabilities in the second number i wrote an eloquent essay on the commercial crisis of eighteen twenty five and the currency debates in the third i had two articles one on a minor subject the other on the reciprocity principle in commerce a propos of a celebrated diplomatic correspondence between canning and gallatin these writings were no longer mere reproductions and applications of the doctrines i had been taught they were original thinking as far as that name can be applied to old ideas in new forms and convections i do not exceed the truth in saying that there was a maturity and a well-digested character about them which there had not been in any of my previous performances in execution therefore they were not at all juvenile but their subjects have either gone by or have been so much better treated since that they are entirely superseded and should remain buried in the same oblivion with my contributions to the first dynasty of the westminster review while thus engaged in writing for the public i did not neglect other modes of self-cultivation it was at this time that i learnt german beginning it on the hamiltonian method for which purpose i and several of my companions formed a class for several years from this period our social studies assumed a shape which contributed very much to my mental progress 
the idea occurred to us of carrying on by reading and conversation a joint study of several of the branches of science which we wished to be masters of we assembled to the number of a dozen or more mr grote let a room in his house in threadneedle street for the purpose and his partner prescott one of the three original members of the utilitarian society made one among us we met two mornings in every week from half-past eight till ten at which hour most of us were called off to our daily occupations our first subject was political economy we chose some systematic treatise as our textbook my father's elements being our first choice one of us read aloud a chapter or some smaller portion of the book the discussion was then opened up and every one who had objection or other remark to make made it our rule was to discuss thoroughly every point raised whether great or small prolonging the discussion until all who took part were satisfied with the conclusion they had individually arrived at and to follow up every topic of collateral speculation which the chapter or the conversation suggested never leaving it until we had untied every knot which we found we repeatedly kept up the discussion of some one point for several weeks thinking intently on it until the interval of our meetings and contriving solutions of the new difficulties which had risen up in the last morning's discussion when we had finished in this way my father's elements we went in the same manner through ricardo's principles of political economy and bailey's dissertation on value these close and vigorous discussions were not only improving on a high degree to those who took part in them but brought out new views of some topics of abstract political economy the theory of the international values which i had afterwards published emanated from these conversations as did also the modified form of ricardo's theory of profits laid down in my essay on profits and interest those among us with whom new speculations chiefly originated were ellis graham and i though others gave great aid to the discussion especially prescott and roebuck the one by his knowledge the other by his dialectical acuteness the theories of international values and of profits were excognated and worked out in about equal proportions by myself and graham and if our original project had been executed my essays on some unsettled questions of political economy would have been brought out along with some papers of his under our joint names but when my exposition came to be written i found that i had so much overestimated my agreement with him and he dissented so much from the most original of the two essays that on international values that i was obliged to consider the theory as now exclusively mine and it came out as such when published many years later i may mention that among the alterations which my father made in revising his elements for the third edition several were founded on criticisms elicited by these conversations and particularly he modified his opinions though not to the extent of new speculations on both the points to which i have adverted when we had had enough of political economy we took up the syllogistic logic in the same manner 
grote now joining us our first textbook was aldrich but being disgusted with his superficiality we reprinted one of the most finished among the many manuals of the school logic which my father a great collector of such books possessed the macanunitu ad logicam of the jesuit du Trier. after finishing this we took up whateley's logic when first republished from the encyclopedia metropolitana and finally the Computato sive logica of hobbes these books dealt with in our manner afforded a high range for original metaphysical speculation and most of what has been done in the first book of my system of logic to rationalize and correct the principles and distinctions of the school logicians and to improve the theory of the import of propositions had its origin in these discussions graham and i originated most of the novelties while grote and others furnished an excellent tribunal or test from this time i formed the project of writing a book on logic though on a much humbler scale than the one i ultimately executed having done with logic we launched into analytic psychology and having chosen hartley for our textbook we raised priestley's edition to an exaggerated place by searching through london to furnish each of us with a copy when we had finished hartley we suspended our meetings but my father's analysis of the mind being published soon after we reassembled for the purpose of reading it with this our exercises ended i have always dated from these conversations my own real inauguration as an original and independent thinker it was also through them that i acquired or very much strengthened a mental habit to which i attribute all that i have ever done or ever shall do in speculation that of never accepting half-solutions of difficulties as complete, never abandoning a puzzle, but again and again returning to it until it was cleared up, never allowing obscure corners of a subject to remain unexplored because they did not appear important, never thinking that I understood any part of a subject until I understood the whole. Our doings from 1825 to 1830 in the way of public speaking filled a considerable place in my life during those years and as they had important effects on my development something ought to be said of them there was for some time in existence a society of owenites called the cooperative society which met for weekly public discussions in chancery lane in the early part of eighteen twenty five accident brought roebuck in contact with several of its members and led to his attending one or two of the meetings and taking part in the debate in opposition to owenism some one of us started the notion of going there in a body and having a general battle and charles austin and some of his friends who did not usually take part in our joint exercises entered into the project it was carried out by concert with the principal members of the society themselves nothing loath as they naturally preferred a controversy with opponents to a tame discussion among their own body the question of population was proposed as the subject of debate charles austin led the case on our side with a brilliant speech and the fight was kept up by adjournment through five or six weekly meetings before crowned authorities including among with the members of the society and their friends many hearers and some speakers from the ends of court when this debate was ended another was commenced on the general merits of owen's system and the contest altogether lasted about three months 
it was a lutikor atkor between owenites and political economists whom the owenites regarded as their most inveterate opponents but it was a perfectly friendly dispute we who represented political economy had the same objects in view as they had and took pains to show it and the principal champion on their side was a very estimable man with whom i was well acquainted mr william thompson of cork author of a book on the distribution of wealth and of an appeal in behalf of women against the passage relating to them in my father's essay on government ellis roebuck and i took an active part in the debate and among those from the inns of court who joined in i remember charles villeners the other side obtained also on the population question very efficient support from without the well-known gale jones then an elderly man made one of his florid speeches but the speaker with whom i was most struck though i dissented from nearly every word he said was thurwall the historian since bishop of st david's then a chancery barrister unknown except by a high reputation for eloquence acquired at the cambridge union before the era of austin and macaulay his speech was in answer to one of mine before he had uttered ten sentences i set him down as the best speaker i had ever heard and i have never since heard any one whom i placed above him the great interest of these debates predisposed some of those who took part in them to catch at a suggestion thrown out by mccullough the political economist that a society was wanted in london similar to the speculative society at edinburgh in which brougham horner and others first cultivated public speaking our experience at the cooperative society seemed to give cause for being sanguine as to the sort of men who might be brought together in london for such a purpose mccullough mentioned the matter to several young men of influence to whom he was then giving private lessons in political economy some of these entered warmly into the project particularly george villeners after earl of clarendon he and his brothers hyde and charles romley charles austin and i with some others met and agreed on a plan we determined to meet once a fortnight from november to june at the freemasons tavern and we had soon a fine list of members containing along with several members of parliament nearly all the most noted speakers of the cambridge union and of the oxford united debating society it is curiously illustrative of the tendencies of the time that our principal difficulty in recruiting for the society was to find a sufficient number of tory speakers almost all of whom we could press into the service were liberals of different orders and degrees besides those already named we had macaulay thirwald prade and lord horwick samuel wilberforce afterwards bishop of oxford charles poulet thomas afterwards lord sindenham edward and henry linton bulwer fontainebleau and many others whom i cannot now recollect but who made themselves afterwards more or less conspicuous in public or literary life nothing could seem more promising but when the time for action drew near and it was necessary to fix on a president and find somebody to open the first debate none of our celebrities would consent to perform either office of the many who were pressed on the subject the only one who could be prevailed on was a man of whom i knew very little but who had taken high honours at oxford and was said to have acquired a great oratorical reputation there who some time afterward became a tory member of parliament 
he accordingly was fixed in both for filling the president's chair and for making the first speech the important day arrived the benches were crowded all our great speakers were present to judge of but not to help our efforts the oxford orator's speech was a complete failure he threw a damp on the whole concern the speakers who followed were few and none of them did their best the affair was a complete fiasco and the oratorical celebrities we had counted on went away never to return giving to me at least a lesson in knowledge of the world this unexpected breakdown altered my whole relation to the project i had not anticipated taking a prominent part nor speaking much or often particularly at first but i now saw that the success of the scheme depended on the new men and i put my shoulder to the wheel i opened the second session and from that time spoke in nearly every debate it was very uphill work for some time the three vilners and romley stuck to us for some time longer but the patience of all the founders of the society was at last exhausted except me and roebuck in the season following eighteen twenty six seven things began to mend we had acquired two excellent tory speakers hayward and she afterwards sergeant she the radical side was reinforced by charles buller cockburn and others of the second generation of cambridge benthamites and with their and other occasional aid and the two tories as well as roebuck and me for regular speakers almost every debate was a bagatelle rangée between the philosophic radicals and the tory lawyers until our conflicts were talked about and several persons of note and consideration came to hear us this happened still more in the subsequent sessions eighteen twenty eight and eighteen twenty nine when the coleridgeans in the persons of maurice and sterling made their appearance in the society as a second liberal and even radical party on totally different grounds from benthamism and vehemently opposed to it bringing into these discussions the general doctrines and modes of thought of the european reaction against the philosophy of the eighteenth century and adding a third and very important belligerent party to our contests which were now no bad exponent of the moment of opinion among the most cultivated part of the new generation our new debates were very different from those of common debating societies for they habitually consisted of the strongest arguments and most philosophic principles which either side was able to produce thrown often into close and serre confrontations of one another the practice was necessarily very useful to us and eminently to me i never indeed acquired real fluency and had always a bad and ungraceful delivery but i could make myself listened to and as i always wrote my speeches when from the feelings involved or the nature of the ideas to be developed expression seemed important i greatly increased my power of effective writing acquiring not only an ear for smoothness and rhythm but a practical sense for telling sentences and an intimate criterion of their telling property by their effect on a mixed audience the society and the preparation for it together with the preparation for the morning conversations which were going on simultaneously occupied the greater part of my leisure and made me feel it a relief when in the spring of eighteen twenty eight i ceased to write for the westminster the review had fallen into difficulties though the sale of the first number had been very encouraging the permanent sale had never 
i believe been sufficient to pay the expenses on the scale on which the review was carried on those expenses had been considerably but not sufficiently reduced one of the editors southern had resigned and several of the writers including my father and me who had been paid like other contributors for our earlier articles had latterly written without payment nevertheless the original funds were nearly or quite exhausted and if the review was to be continued some new arrangement of its affairs had to become indispensable my father and i had several conferences with bowring on the subject we were willing to do our utmost for maintaining the review as an organ of our opinion but not under brownring's editorship while the impossibility of its any longer supporting a paid editor afforded a ground on which without affront to him we could propose to dispense with his services we and some of our friends were prepared to carry on the review as unpaid writers either finding among ourselves an unpaid editor or sharing the editorship among us but while this negotiation was proceeding with browning's apparent acquiescence he was carrying on another in a different quarter with colonel pernay thompson of which we received the first intimation in a letter from bowring as editor informing us merely that an arrangement had been made and proposing to us to write for the next number with promise of payment we did not dispute bowring's right to bring about if he could an arrangement more favourable to himself than the one we had proposed but we thought the concealment which he had practised toward us while seemingly entering into our own project an affront and even had we not thought so we were indisposed to expend any more of our time and trouble in attempting to write up the review under his management accordingly my father excused himself from writing though two or three years later on great pressure he did write one more political article as for me i positively refused and thus ended my connection with the original westminster the last article which i wrote for it cost me more labour than any previous but was a labour of love being a defence of the early french revolutionists against the tory misrepresentations of mr walter scott in the introduction to his life of napoleon the number of books which i read for this purpose making notes and extracts even the number i had to buy for in those days there was no public or subscription library from which books of reference could be taken home far exceeded the worth of the immediate object but i had at that time a half-formed intention of writing a history of the french revolution and though i never executed it my collections afterwards were very useful to carlyle for a similar purpose End of chapter 4, part 3. Recording by Gary Gilbert.